Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm Editor-in-Chief Drew Cherry, joined today by Executive Editor John Fiorillo, Senior Business Reporter Rachel Sapin, and Correspondent John Evans. Just time for a couple of topics today. It has been another very, very busy news week. Uh, we're going to start today with the supply chain logistics. It's a topic that we write more and more about nowadays because uh, the complexities are, uh, are taking their toll on the seafood industry, no matter what species uh, you're selling and no matter what, uh, what you're doing along the value chain. So, um, John, you uh, track this closer than anybody else. Um, why don't you tell us uh, about where we stand vis-a-vis -vis China? Um, China does have a couple of big events uh, coming up, their New Year, of course, uh, and also the Olympics, which have added um, an additional stress or two on already complicated, uh, uh, complicated situation for logistics in China, where their zero COVID policy has resulted in a lot of companies being turned away or facing delays in their key ports uh, of Dalian and Qingdao in particular. But um, this week, an HSBC report came out. Um, tell us about it. Yeah, and as we've seen, the uh, the Omicron variant of uh, COVID-19 has been uh, spreading rapidly across um, Europe and uh, North America, and now down here in uh, Brazil, where I am. And uh, the fear is uh, from, uh, as you mentioned, uh, economists at HSBC Bank, if it spreads rapidly across um asia then it could cause the uh, as, as they put it the mother of all supply chain stumbles and um there's even fears uh from one uh, commentator that i spoke to um dennis unkovich who's a global trade expert and um he's written on uh, the transformation of the global supply chains um that uh you know, we could be we could be repeating the cycle we saw at the start of uh, 2020 when um, first of all there were problems in Asia, and then they spread, a, um, particularly in terms of shipping as well as well as as, as um, you know, the impact on processing. They could spread back to um, a, a Europe and then North America. So um, that's a sort of doomsday scenario. They'll be hoping to avoid that. And as you mentioned, the couple of uh, events with the um, with the uh, Chinese New Year, which is one, the biggest, if, uh, if, if not one of the biggest um, mass migrations of people going back to their to their regions where they previously came from for holidays, uh, and then the Olympic Games. Uh, Winter Olympic Games, that is. And, um, of course, now, since we wrote our piece, the Chinese government has said it's not, not going to be selling tickets for the event. I think only a few people will be allowed into the event, spectators, that is. And that's under strict quarantine rules. I think I'm not sure what the, the period is, whether it's seven or ten days before the event they're allowed in. Um, so whether that's going to be as uh, worrying and as event as... Uh, We'll have, we'll have to see, but um, yeah, it's it, it, uh, it, if, if, I mean, if it all goes badly in terms of the Omicron variant, then it doesn't look good. Although we are seeing, uh, you know, in South Africa and other places, um, rates linked to the Omicron variant, uh, COVID cases, 
uh, falling. Now, China is uh, obviously had a, a full um, a full few years of these types of um, closures um, on and off, and and the the rules and restrictions have uh, have been relatively tight, particularly as we talked about in the ports. Um, the interesting statistics came out uh, about twenty twenty one. Uh, from Russia, uh, our correspondent Evgeny Bovchenko uh, wrote this story. New statistics showed that uh, Russia's seafood exports to China, uh, China has been far and away Russia's most important seafood market, primarily as a reprocessing uh, destination, but also as a market. Their exports fell 70 percent. Uh, 70. So they used to be over a million metric tons. Uh, down to around 310,000 metric tons last year. It's just stunning. Those, the, the numbers involved there are just absolutely stunning. And I think other countries are probably um, looking at this, this, this same shift. Um, Russia, uh, on the opposite side of that, exports to Germany, to the United Kingdom, to other areas in Southeast Asia, uh, just shot through the roof, uh, Africa as well. And so they found new markets for this uh, for this this fish. The trade shows or trade flows rather have completely changed, um, and they may they may stay this way um, even after COVID uh, fades in the rearview mirror. But um, John, that's another issue that uh, that we've been looking at um, and that's being discussed is kind of who is the new China. So that's kind of next on. Uh, on uh, your reporting agenda, as we'll be looking into that as well, yes? Yeah, and um, Dennis Ogovich, as I mentioned earlier, um, he's, he, in his book, uh, Transforming the Global Supply Chain, uh, and he also told The Guardian beforehand as well, before speaking to me, he repeated it to me, that he doesn't see, uh, you know, what, the, the, the mold has been broken now, he doesn't see... Um, China holding on to its prominent position as, uh, uh, you know, the, the world's processing um, center. You know, he, he says that, you know, some, as you mentioned, flows are going back to other parts of the world, including South America and, and North America. And manufacturing, that is. Manufacturing, I should say. Manufacturing um, operations. Right, the reshoring and increased automation—all these things that we've been yeah. seeing moving—it's—it's—it's it's, it's going to move even quicker. And even though China's ports have opened up a bit more to Russia, um, again, just just like you're saying, John, the 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 cows kind of out of the barn, where they're deciding, hey, we can ship direct to markets. Um, already, Russia was focusing more on doing its own value-added uh, production in country. Uh, anyway, and I, yeah. I just I, I think um, yeah I, I think we will see more of it um, as uh, as time goes on. Let's move to uh, another big story uh, we worked on this week. Uh, Rachel Sapin, fantastic job looking into uh, a a project. I guess we almost difficult to call it a company. Uh, a project plan for Maine, a land-based salmon farming project. Now, land-based aquaculture uh, and, and aquaculture development in general has found a welcome home in Maine in general. Um, of course, there's always opponents and there's always uh, battles here and there. But in general, the state of Maine and the cities in Maine have been open to, uh, to, uh, to uh, these operations that are going to bring uh, jobs to some of these rural communities. 
Whole Oceans is uh, one of those companies that's been planning a project for a long, long time. Um, Rachel, we decided to check in. Um, what did you find in your reporting? Well, unfortunately for Whole Oceans, not a lot in terms of progress they've made since 2018. Um, the story really ended up being about um, how this company kind of came on the scene in 2018, and it, it came to a, a small town in Maine, in rural Maine, called Bucksport. And uh, this town has like less than 5,000 residents, and they made this big announcement, Whole Oceans, in 2018, that they were going to build a huge salmon uh, land-based salmon operation that was, you know, going to invest more than 250 million into the town and uh, create hundreds of jobs. And it was supported by people like Maine Senator Susan Collins. Um, and now we're like about four years and three CEOs later, and it's just a big empty lot. Uh, this company's been sitting on permits. Um, it has it has received um, quite a bit of support from the town and the state of Maine, and uh, everyone's just a little confused why the company hasn't moved forward on anything at this point. Um, we're all pretty in the dark. <laughs> right, and it's kind of unclear, too, the, and this is the larger question about land-based salmon farming projects is the financing. Um, because there's so much excitement and enthusiasm among the investment community for land-based aquaculture, there have been a lot of projects that we've reported on, um, and and uh, a lot of times it's just an idea, it's a plan, it's a PowerPoint. So, um, what do what do we know about Whole Oceans? Kind of uh, about their backers is a company called Emergent Holdings. It's been kind of on top of it, and um, they've been involved in some other companies as well. Yeah, we know a, a little bit about Emergent Holdings. Um, they are a private company and they're not filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Uh, so we don't quite know what the ownership structure is in Emergent Holdings. We do know that Rob Piazzo uh, was one of the co-founders of Emergent Holdings and he was initially involved in the whole Oceans project in 2018. Um, he did end up leaving that project. Um, so he's no longer with it at uh, according to his LinkedIn, at least, we did try reaching out to him. Um, we do know that Emergent Holdings it is also financing a land-based salmon project called Kutera um, in British Columbia. And that is a project where um, the site for it is actually uh, leased to Emergent Holdings uh, through the First Nation, the Namgis First Nation. Uh, so we do know they're involved in that project. And we also know that Emergent Holdings um, finances a aquaculture technology group called PR Aqua that also operates out of British Columbia. Um, we have uh, we've been trying to get a better sense of who is behind Emergent Holdings. Uh, we reached out to the company. Um, we haven't really been able to get those details yet. Um, so far, we've just heard from um, their kind of PR person on behalf of the whole Oceans Project that there are big announcements coming <laughs> for, for Maine and to stand by. But um, so far, uh, even talking to some of the construction companies and, and town code enforcement um, officers and, and uh, project managers in Bucksport, uh, no one really knows what that announcement's going to be. So 
it's really put the town in a, a pretty nervous, anxious spot for what's going to happen for this, you know, uh, around 100 acre site <laughs> that they were really hoping uh, this land-based salmon farm would be inhabiting at this point. Right. We, we reached out to Emergent. Um, I mean, just to give you a sense of kind of where, um, how confusing all this is, um, Emergent, uh, the post office box goes, of uh, the address go, is the same as Whole Oceans. Uh, and then the, um, the uh, phone number listed on, the, uh, on Emergent Holdings is actually a, a, a zip code based in Indiana. So it, it's confusing. And the, the person that answered the phone there said she was no longer with the company and left in September 2021. And that they're, um, you know, that uh, she indicated that several other people had left uh, as well. And the, 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 the spokesperson did, Rachel, say that there could be news coming up eventually, somehow, somewhere. Yeah, she said that there is a big announcement um, for Whole Oceans happening in the first quarter of this year. Um, I guess we're not to the end of the first quarter, so <laughs> there's still some time for that announcement. But um, yeah, it's just it's been tough uh, for the town of Bucksport because um, Whole Oceans has been permitted for a while now to actually start building at least you know its initial site. And um, when I was talking to Luke uh, Chiavelli, who's their um, Bucksport's code enforcement officer, he explained that they haven't given um, the town any plans and that they could even be doing things like removing 350,000 yards of material at the moment. This used to be an old uh, lumber or an old mill site. Uh, so it's got lots of removal work that needs to be done. And they just have a lot of permission to start working on the site. But um, it's been kind of very radio silent for the town since about, um, you know, the fall of last year when uh, Luke Chiavelli, the code enforcement officer, said he had learned um, about uh, people leaving the company. So it's it's really um, a very in-the-dark project. One person I spoke with um, that works with Chambro uh, Construction in Maine called the project a black hole. So it's it's hard. It's really hard to know what's going on. And um, in general, it's just, you know, it's, it's, I also kind of heard from um, a construction company that works with a lot of the projects, not only full oceans, but um, bigger ones like Nordic Aqua Farms and American Aqua Farms, that these projects are just very costly and that whole oceans is not the only company kind of dealing with um, budget issues at the moment. I think it's hard for, um, you know, the people that are supporting land-based aquaculture in Maine, they do want to see these projects get off the ground. I think they just, you know, they're not sure how the companies are making it work at this point. We've had, you know, um, so many companies announcing these very broad plans, broad and, uh, you know, amazing plans for salmon farms in Maine. And it's going on for years. And uh, none of the projects have been realized, not only Whole Oceans, but Nordic Aqua Farms. Um, yeah, so it's it's tough. I mean, the, the, I, I think that sticker shock is is the um, is one of the big holdups. And I think now that now that the industry does have awareness, not just in Maine, but everywhere uh, as a kind of an exciting investment, 
Um, now it's sort of, I think, separating out the projects that have a real potential and the projects that were just the idea. But when you have a $250 million project, that money does have to come from somewhere. You need some massive backing to have that kind of outlay of cash because you have to, and then somebody taking a lot of risk because you're going to build a facility, you have to buy the smolt, you have to hire the staff, all the equipment, all the design. I mean, tens upon tens of millions of dollars to get it started. And that's to take the gamble that 18 months later, you're going to have full grow out, uh, fully grown out uh, salmon and that buyers will actually pay for it. So intense amount of risk for a lot of these projects. So permitting, hard as it is, is only one step. You have to have people that are willing to pay the money and take the risks. And as of now, there's really very few people that are willing to do that on the larger size projects. Um, outside of in Norway and, and Norway, Norwegian companies have found that uh, that raising money on the stock exchange is the best way to do that and have had some some luck with that, obviously. Um, Atlantic Sapphire. Um, bit, bit of news on that front uh, in terms of the size of these uh, companies. This week, Salmon Evolution, uh, stock listed on the, uh, on the Oslo stock, uh, stock Exchange, as Atlantic Sapphire is, Salmon Evolution is doing a flow-through project in Norway uh, outside of a city called Molda, and, um, and, and they are now the most valuable uh, land-based salmon farmer in the world. Just as of yesterday, on a 30% share run, our colleague Anders Feruset reported that they now are worth $375 million, which is a whole lot of money. Um, but I think a lot of it now is actually investors trying to gauge whether or not these projects are for real and close to realization. Obviously, Atlantic Sapphire is well into its construction and actually raising fish has all kinds of problems, but it's raising fish. Um, Salmon Evolution just, uh, just got seawater into its tanks, which is a big milestone. Uh, and then in addition, you, Salmon Evolution has, uh, has equity investors Cargill, um, one of the world's largest private companies, plenty of money, uh, and also the largest uh, or second largest uh, aquaculture feed producer. So, um, so you have one big stable uh, leg there. And then you also have Dongwon, which is a, a, a massive uh, Korean uh, company with not only seafood and food and beverage, but um, all kinds of other assets. And they have invested in Salmon Evolution. And also Salmon Evolution has uh, contracted to build a massive land-based salmon farm in South Korea with Dongwon um, called, uh, called K-Smart Farm. So, um, yeah, it does seem a bit like the projects that are potentially uh, not as baked out are starting to fall by the wayside. Uh, John, what are your thoughts on all of these projects? Are we at that stage where the wheat is getting separated from the chaff? Is that your takeaway from, from the whole ocean's sort of silence? Yeah, I mean, uh, if you look at the continuum of of this um, explosion of RAS salmon facilities, especially in in the U.S., uh, um, you know, year, a few years ago, not many, uh, five, six, four, somewhere in that range, um, 
you know, projects were coming left and right. We couldn't keep up uh, writing about them and their projects. And I remember one of our colleagues in Norway saying, you know, they're, they're basically PowerPoint slides. And a lot of them were. Um, they were they were grand plans that needed funding and needed management and all those things to make them reality. Nothing wrong with that. Four years later, five years later, now we see that the leader, Atlantic Sapphire, went out there and they actually, you know, built the place and uh, cut the management team and raised fish, but they didn't do it without a lot of bumps in the road. So investors seeing that, I think, pulled back from their uh, exuberance and said, hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, if these guys are struggling, you know, what, what's the one we put our money into? Are they going to be okay? And I think you're seeing now kind of the, the, the result of that. I don't know how much whole oceans has as far as funding. Um, my sense is um, it's probably not sufficient. And I do know they, they, uh, you know, they lost some funding along the line. So, uh, uh, I, you know, I think it's we're exactly where uh, we probably should be with this. We we were at the point where all these projects sounded great, looked wonderful, had all the promise, but after some development and after some further scrutiny, investors are, as you said, they're high grading now. They're like, whoa, you know, I don't know. That management team has been switched seven times in the last four years that that's not a good sign let's take our money and put it over here so that's all good news for sapphire if you ask me because um i mean uh, rachel said there's four there's four land-based projects in in maine right now and none of them are anywhere anywhere really i mean they've been permitted and but there's no fishing tanks. Most of them aren't even, I don't even think the construction has started in, in a lot of them or in several of them. And, uh, you know, some of them are dealing with significant uh, blowback from residents. So there, there's a lot of obstacles. And I really feel bad about this because I was so excited. I love Maine. You know, I worked uh, in, in that region uh, a little bit. Um, I was so excited to see, you know, these remote parts of Maine getting this new industry coming to. I thought, wow, this is going to be really cool. This is really unique. And the, and as Rachel said, the local and state governments have been over backwards to roll out the red carpet and help and, you know, um, kind of move this thing along. And and now it looks like, you know, will we, you know, what will we get out of Maine? What what will that industry develop, if at all, into? You know, so I, uh, I I find it a little a little sad. I I hope it's just a bump in the road for all the, all these guys, but my sense is that it isn't. I think that there uh, I think there's going to be plenty of other other companies that will uh, that will make it work. And there's no there's no question that uh, there is. There is money to be invested in in land-based uh, projects. It's it's going to grow. It's just kind of how long and which ones are going to make it. Um, so, uh, but but I agree with you. It, it is a shame that um, these these regions get so excited about it, 
on the promise of jobs and you know when projects like this fail um it's uh yeah it's it's a it's a very sad thing but uh a nickel's worth of free advice you know the management is so crucial and i think that has been really overlooked as the absolute biggest shortfall and the biggest weakness in the in the ambitions for land-based aquaculture there's just not enough trained people that know how to actually do this and so when you look at the at the management teams for some of these projects if none of them have ever worked for movie or Suramac or Grieg or Aquachile or Tassal or any name that you can think of in salmon farming um caveat emptor maybe they don't actually know how to build uh raise uh market salmon let's sort of look ahead here rachel is there any um any sense of where uh where things go next here um we haven't really moved into this phase of the reporting but kutera i guess question mark over what happens next for that project if holotions is stalled yeah, that, that's definitely the next question is, is what happens with Kutera, um, what's going on with PR Aqua, I think uh, Whole Oceans, this story really led us to more questions than answers at this point. And um, I know we're not the only ones <laughs> that want those answers. So um, yes, that will be the probably the next phase of the reporting uh, for us. But yeah, and hopefully we will have a few more details coming up on, on who is behind the mysterious uh, emergent holdings as well. Well, it's not for lack of ear reporting and trying to get uh, people to respond and give us uh, information on this. So um, I think probably every, every phone number in America has been called by you about this project. So I think we'll learn more <laughs> in the coming days as we figure out exactly uh, exactly what's uh, what's gone on with the company behind it. But as of now, um, certainly very, very, very quiet. So, okay, folks, uh, we'll wrap it up there. A couple of quick things to plug. On February 17th, we have a, a digital event on shipping and logistics uh, with some great uh, panelists that we've got together um, as I said at the top, when we were speaking with uh, with John Evans, it's just a massive issue that the industry is trying to wrap its head around. So we want some uh, clarity on it. We've got uh, some executives with uh, Maersk, the shipping line with Nordic Group uh, in Norway, uh, FOA and Sons, which does uh, maritime insurance uh, and more. So we're really looking forward to, uh, to that event. Again, that's February 17th. And of course, the Boston Seafood Show is coming up on March 13th through 15th. We've reported that there are some companies that will not be attending, have chosen to, uh, to not exhibit uh, over concerns uh, around COVID and the Omicron variant spread. We absolutely respect that decision. We will be there. We will have an event on Tuesday, March 14th that will require vaccination, proof of vaccination, uh, just as is the case for the Boston event itself at the Heinz Center. So uh, unless there's any major changes, we plan on being there. Uh, we're going to have a great lineup of speakers uh, who will be safely assembled uh, and are uh, tables and, uh, and places for attendees 
will be nice and spaced out as well. So fingers crossed that everything is going to go uh, normal for the Boston Seafood Show uh, and that we will all uh, be seeing one another in a safe fashion. All right, folks, we'll talk to you next week.